Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to a special softball episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather and on Facebook and Instagram under the name In All Kinds of Weather. And today I've got a very special guest on to talk about the Gator softball team and more specifically their upcoming Super Regional Showdown against Virginia Tech. But before she comes on, as always, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of y'all who are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for flights, for rental cars, for hotels, game tickets, gear, all kinds of swag, and just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We are looking for someone to send to the swamp in 2022 for the Gators football game against Missouri on October 8th. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor, please reach out to us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. We are also looking for donations. To donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. And while you're on the website, you can also look around and see some of the campaigns we've done in previous years. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't really think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And number two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So yes, they definitely do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And last order of business before we get to Gator softball. Very, 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 very quick shout out to Florida Gator tennis stars, Sam Riffis and Ben Shelton, both advancing to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA individual singles tennis tournament this week in Champaign. Very disappointed, uh, of course, that the Gator tennis team could not pull it out as a team against Virginia, the eventual national champions this past season in the NCAA Elite Eight team competition. But nonetheless, a, a very, very, very storied career for Mr. Riffis, who is heading on to the pros. Also, uh, Andy Andrade, Duarte Valle, and uh, Matthias Saimar all put together some, some pretty awesome memories for the Gators men's tennis team. So, to those of y'all, thank you so much for all your efforts. You are all going down as Gator greats and best wishes to you as you pursue your lives after college. And with that taken care of, time to bring on our guest, Jen Schroeder. She was a very talented catcher, had a very successful career at UCLA, played in three Women's College World Series there. Uh, for Gator purposes, we talked about this off air, but she did play against Florida in the last one. Sorry, Jen. Um, but you may or remember. You can say Florida ended my career. Yeah, so sorry to bring that up. But uh, if you've heard her name before as a player and you're wondering where you heard it before, that's probably it. Nowadays, 
I think it's fair to say that you split your time giving back to the game of softball by coaching up young girls and the fundamentals and talking about it as an analyst. And that's why you're here because Florida softball for the ninth year in a row is in the super regionals of the NCAA tournament, two wins away from the women's college world series. So Jen, thank you so much for coming on. It's an honor to have you. It's been a crazy tournament so far and I'm excited to get to talk to you about hopefully Florida's chances of adding to that craziness. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And Florida was really fun to watch this past weekend in regionals. Yeah, I mean, Florida was, I think, one of the, probably one of the less, um, one of the less eventful regionals. They, they, they run rule two of their opponents and they, they, they had their way with Georgia Tech beating them 7-1 without any real um, adversity in that game. But they'll be tested this weekend, I think, a lot more than they have been uh, recently. So we usually start out our interviews with our guests by sort of warming them up and getting them into the conversation uh, with a segment that our co-host, who's unfortunately not here today, calls the lightning round. But as a Gator pod, most of them are Gator specific. So we're going to tweak them a little bit for you because okay. um, you went to UCLA, not Florida. But the first one, the ultimate sort of get to know you sort of question is how did you fall in love with the game of softball as a little girl? And how are you able to keep that love for the game throughout all the ups and downs of, of your career? Yeah, so I grew up in Southern California. It's where I still live. And I'm the oldest sister of four girls. We were actually the first family to have four girls play Division One softball. So I was at UCLA. My next sister played at Stanford. The third one played with me at UCLA. And then my baby sister went to the SEC because she saw everything that you guys had going on over there in the South and went to Arkansas and had a great career there. I think being an older sister is something that, that helped me with the leadership role and just knowing hey, you've got little sisters looking at you, looking to you to lead them. And I think that helped with just inspiring me to continue to play the game. And then as a catcher, I fell in love with everyone on defense looking at you being in every single play. And actually, Aubrey Monroe, who's probably Florida's greatest catcher of all time, is a longtime student of mine and friend, trained her uh, her entire life through the Olympics, through her, through her time at Florida. Uh, and so just giving back to the game as far as instruction in different ways, like you mentioned in the beginning, really helped just continue to inspire me to stay in it. Yeah, awesome. I mean, softball is uh, certainly, I think, a growing sport in, in terms of popularity in, in the Southeast uh, Florida not that long ago, just started their program. It wasn't you know, football and basketball and baseball have been around for over a century now. Softball, not nearly that old, but definitely more and more attention, I think, being paid to the game uh, in the Southeast. And I think that's had a lot to do with Florida's success as a program recently. And obviously, you know, in your case out in UCLA, uh, you're a little more established than, than the Gators are, but certainly um, understand the the love um, from a young age going up from there too. So second question, starting to sort of shift into Gator specific mode. You did not play for Florida, but you played against Florida uh, in the Women's College World Series in 2008. Talked a little bit about that. Um, unfortunately for you, the Gators did end your career. Uh, more specifically, though, I wanted to talk to you about the experience of playing in OKC at the Women's College World Series. That is the stage we're talking about Florida NBT playing for the opportunity to reach. So if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about what it was like to be on that stage, um, not, not only playing against Florida, but playing against all those other teams and some of the best athletes in the country. Yeah, you know, when I committed to UCLA when I was in high school at that time, 
UCLA and Arizona were the two dominant softball programs. I mean, UCLA has won 12 national championships. Arizona has won nine. It's the most by far. But now Florida or Oklahoma have been in the championship tournament, not just the tournament, like in the championship game, the final two, 10 of the last 12 years. So going back to 2008, like you mentioned, getting to play on that stage for us at UCLA was what was expected. It was just, you go to UCLA, you go and compete for a national championship. In fact, my class was the very first class not to win a national championship in the history of UCLA softball. So imagine a coach coming for a recruiting trip, coming to have dinner with your family and rolling national championship rings across the table and saying, if you come here, you're going to win one because every single girl who has graduated from my program has won a national championship ring. And then imagine you being the first class not to. And I'll tell you a quick story about that Florida game is Coach Enquist, who's the most winningest female coach of all time, any sport. She was my coach at UCLA for two years until we got a new coach, uh, Kelly Inouye Perez, who's the current coach. She came and spoke to our team before the Florida game because we were one loss away from being eliminated from the tournament, which eventually did happen. And she had won um, 10 national championships, one as a player and then nine as a coach at that time. And she gave nine national championship rings to each starter before the game and then one to the dugout. And she actually presented her playing ring to me before that Florida game. So during that Florida game, underneath my glove, I wore Coach Enquist's player's national championship ring. The idea was to inspire us that we were on the hunt for that, and that was what was eventually going to happen before our dreams were absolutely just stomped on by the Florida Gators. And I will say, it was a surprise to us that Florida was that competitive and that good because for so long they hadn't been. They made it to the national championship series. They ended up losing to Washington in that year, but then just a few short years later, back to back it with Lauren Hager and Aubrey Monroe and Kelsey Stewart and this list of legacy Gators. But it was those girls on the 2008, 2009 national championship run team, the Francesca Aneas, the Megan Bushes, the Stacey Nelsons, who really propelled Florida into what is now a softball dynasty school. I know you guys call yourself an everything school, but you are a softball dynasty school. Well, we, we do call ourselves the everything school. I mean, we just had uh, a men's tennis team, I, I think, was one just took one of the, one of the most upsetting losses uh, was in my time as a Gator fan. It's up there with uh, some of the softball losses um, that we took in, in the area you mentioned. I do think – I'm not entirely certain. I think that Florida actually lost to A&M that year. They did. 08. Oh, nine was sorry. the year that Daniel so, Laurie got us. You're right. Incorrect. In 08, they did not make it to the championship. It was AM versus ASU. ASU run rolled two games. In 09, they faced Daniel Laurie and Morgan Stewart in the, the championship round. So it was 09. You're correct. Yeah. Okay. And it, it was 11 that Escobedo just bulldozed us. Twice. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because okay. ASU ended up winning in, in 08 and, and 11. That and was... then what was unfortunate is Alabama won the first SEC championship in 12 before Florida, but then Florida back-to-backed it. Right, 14 and 15. That was uh, – I was I, I was more of a casual fan um, back then. But, I mean, 14, 15, those were those are the golden years for sure. Yeah, um, I was at those I was at those games I was on the field after with Aubrey. Pretty cool. That's – yeah, I mean – you know, you're, you're, you're protege, I guess, winning a national title for Florida. It definitely, I, to me, one of the best, if not, no, 
the best catcher we've ever had, one of the best in, in the game. Um, we'll talk about the catcher position more because Florida has a very interesting situation there. Mm -hmm. uh, but last sort of lightning round question, and, and we do this with all our Gator guests um, about the respective sport that they played. Different for you because you did not play for Florida, but as a general fan of the game, what is your favorite Florida Gator jersey color combo? I like when they go all whites. You do like that. I really like, I think it looks so clean. I really like it. Okay. You, I think. It's not your favorite. I don't like, I don't like the orange. Well, so here's my thing. Our colors are orange and blue. I, I totally understand. Like when we have obviously the, the yellow, the sunflower for Heather mm -hmm. Braswell, uh, we wore teal for um, Alex Wilcox who, who died of tragically of, of ovarian cancer, obviously something like that. Of course. But when, when we're not doing something special like that, I just think that we should be showcasing our colors um, so that there's no doubt who we are because anyone can wear white. And for the same matter, anyone can wear black or gray or anything else. So I think orange and blue just distinguishes us. But I, I, I understand that that some people think, you know, the all white looks clean. A lot of people like it for football and basketball, too. So can't really. I think, too, coming from UCLA, we're old school, right? We don't, the Pac-12 doesn't have the money that USC teams have. And so back in my day, we had, and I didn't play all that long ago. My last year being 08 is, is not that long ago. We had one pair of pants, blue, that's it, blue pants. And then two jerseys, white or blue, for home or away. That's all you got. That's all you wore. And so now I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I'm not all into, like, the Oregon combinations. That's taking it too yeah. far for me. But I think it's cool to have something that still showcases your color, but but it has a little pop. And I think the white like pops. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I look when you're playing under the lights, anything's gonna pop. Um, yeah. <laughs> so on the softball itself, um, Florida Virginia Tech Super Regional. It is Florida's first time traveling for a Super since '07. They've been to the Supers in each of the last nine years now, aside from the COVID year, where no one went to a Super. But they're doing it against the team that hasn't really been there before i mean they went to the super last year they lost to ucla before that i looked this up they've been to the super regional round one time ever before 2008 yes that's right i i, I looked Taylor. it up so I, i'm cheating <laughs> but you had it off of your top of your head so that's very impressive um so yeah a school that doesn't have any history really and now oh my they're number three in the country and if not for oklahoma they're probably the, the favorite to win it all. So to sort of set the stage, uh, how does Virginia Tech, I don't want to say irrelevant, that they didn't go from being irrelevant because they're usually in the NCAA tournament, but how do they go from being an afterthought in terms of favorites to win it all to being one of the best teams in the country? You know, I think very similar to the way that Florida did it a decade and a half ago. Their head coach, Pete DeMore, he actually spent some time in the SEC at Missouri. He's one of the best softball minds in the game. Uh, but they have two pitchers that are truly incredible. I think that they're the best one-two combination in softball. So the first one is Keely Richard. She was their workhorse last year. She's their senior. She took them into LA at UCLA, who was a favorite to win it all last year. And she took a game from UCLA. She just didn't have enough steam, didn't have enough gas in the tank. And so now she's got Emma Lemley, who's a freshman. She's got a lot of pop in her pitches, moves the ball around, uh, wears number 27, which is my jersey number. Uh, but she's very susceptible to being called for an illegal pitch. So we're going to get into how Florida can win their series later, I'm sure. But just kind of keep that in mind throughout this podcast. So they have two arms. And then honestly, hitting-wise, they're okay. They're average at best. They don't stand out really or jump off the page in any categories. But they are extremely well coached. 
how they became a favorite, how they're the number three team in the country. Personally, I think they're seated a little high. I don't think that they should be a three seed. I think I would have seen them more at a, at a four or five seed, probably more realistically. But the ACC has had tremendous growth in softball, similarly to the way the SEC did because they partnered with ESPN. So they are accessible on so many people's televisions. They are being put on the main network. You know, people can watch them and so now recruits see them and want to go there because they're on TV all the time. And that's really been the demise of the Pac-12. You've seen how it's been so successful in the SEC. TV growth equals sports growth. And the same thing is happening in the ACC and it's why Virginia Tech Duke and Clemson, which are all three teams that are in this super regional round. It's shocking that Florida State got upset last week, but there are three ACC teams in super regionals. Just for frame of reference, there are only three SEC teams in super regionals. That's never been uh, ne unheard of that there are the same amount of SEC teams as ACC teams in this super regional finals. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the craziest thing about that is the three SEC teams that are in the Super Regionals are probably not the three that you would have predicted if I said three teams from the SEC are going to make it. I mean, Mississippi State going 10-14 and 14 in the SEC, going into Tallahassee and beating the number two team in the country twice in one day. I mean, even even if I were to give you, you know, 100 to 1 odds, probably not something that you would have predicted to happen. So, you know, that just goes to show that the NCAA tournament is is kind of the place where – you know, law of averages and, and the totality of the results kind of go to die. And so I think that segues perfectly into our, our main topic of discussion today, uh, Florida and Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech, like you, I think Virginia Tech was a little overseeded. I was actually rooting for Virginia Tech to win their regional because Kentucky's offense kind of terrifies me, and I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. But the seeds say, you know, the NCAA selection committee says, and I think – the majority of college softball fans would say that Virginia Tech is is the favorite based on their overall bodies of work. That definitely starts with the fact that Virginia Tech has two very, 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 very good pitchers, like you mentioned, in Keeley Richard and Emma Lemley. Uh, Keeley Richard, definitely the headliner of the two. I, I'm trying to come up with an intelligent sounding way to ask you that how she's so good, because at this level, most pitchers can throw 65, 70, which is the baseball equivalent is like 95 to hundred. Uh, most pitchers can make the ball dance and move a bit. If a batter knows it's coming, they're going to tee off on it. So it's more than just having this stuff, so to speak. So for lack of a better way to put this, why is Keely Richard so amazing at what she does? For one, she's an absolute workhorse. So she could legitimately throw 45 innings in a day and, and be five or fine or over a weekend. She can throw 100 pitches per game, 100 plus, and, and be okay to continue to go. But I think what makes her so deceptive to a hitter is she hides the ball really well in her windup and upon delivery. You do not see the ball until the ball is being released. And then she can work both down in the zone and up in the zone at high speeds. And then she'll take 15 miles an hour off of it and drop in a changeup. So she's a complete pitcher. She does not give up many mistakes. And when she does, she is unfazed. When you are watching her pitch, you have no idea if Virginia Tech is winning by 10 or down by 10 because she looks the exact same. So she's just truly a force to be reckoned with in the circle. 
Perfect segue to the next question. It's more of a genetic question um, about pitching, obviously very different than in baseball pitching. Um, I mean, right right now, Florida baseball is in the SEC tournament and our, and our coach is is trying to figure out the pitching rotation because it takes such a toll on your arm. And depending how many pitches you throw, you have to rest it uh, for X number of days. Guys can't just go out there and throw 100 plus pitches back to back days. Does it work like that in softball? So it is obviously, it, it is a physical job. It is something that I'm sure gets tired and yet we this past weekend you know we saw Georgina Corrick not go out there for the a game that I thought they would have pitched her for because of what their coach called a day of rest so there obviously is some toll it takes but j- just give our listeners an idea of, of how grueling exactly it is on the human arm to pitch a softball at this level uh, is there a certain number of pitches in a game or over a weekend you think that's generally advisable to limit someone to and and so on So honestly, it's different pitcher to pitcher. It's not something like baseball where if you get to a pitch count, you're taken out. Um, And then Georgina Corrick, what's so interesting is you're right. Everyone thought she was going to pitch. And Ken Erickson came out and said a day of rest. And then he later in the day admitted that she had back spasms. And so if there's a lingering injury of some sort, that's the time where we'll see coaches maybe pull or protect a pitcher. But if there are no injuries, it is go, 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 especially in the postseason, especially right now. One uh, parallel I want to make for any, you know, Gator softball fans is, Keely Richard reminds me a lot of Lauren Hager. They have very similar tendencies. They throw the ball very similarly. It's like a heavy, hard ball. So just anyone who's trying to visualize Keely Richard, uh, take a look at Lauren Hager in your memory bank, and those two are very similar. Lauren could just also mash the ball over the fence. Yeah, I was going to say, Lauren Hager, uh, the, the only softball player to ever hit 70-plus homers and of course, 70 plus pitching wins. But yeah, so Keely Richard, obviously someone Florida is going to have to be laser focused against if they want to have success against her at the plate. Uh, you mentioned Emma Lemley as well. Virginia Tech has two great options to go within the circle. Also, as you mentioned, it's not like there's a pitch count that Florida can can work her to to get her out of the game like you can do with baseball. So I'm sure we will see them both to some capacity. Um, but given what you've seen from both of them and from what you've seen of Florida's hitters, what, what do you think that Virginia Tech is going to do with those two pitchers? And what do you think that Florida's hitters have to do to have success against the two of them? You know, so when I look at my bracket, by far the Blacksburg Regional, so Virginia Tech versus Florida, is what I am identifying as the most intriguing matchup of the weekend. Because honestly, I think either team can win. And I almost think, despite the fact that Virginia Tech is the three seed, I think Florida has the upper hand in this. One, Florida is so well coached. Tim Walton prepares his teams like no one else. Like you call it postseason Tim, where it's just like, you know that they're going to be ready to play. They're going to have a game plan. They are going to be so focused and ready to compete against whether it's Lemley, uh, whether it's Rochelle, like whoever is in the circle, Florida is going to be ready to face them. Since Hannah Adams is back in the lineup, the Gator energy, the Gator offense is completely different. That combined with Skyler Wallace, who's a transfer from Alabama, the stolen base record, she can hit the grab, drop, or she can hit the gap, she can drop a bunt, she can leave the yard. Like she's one of my favorite players in all of college softball. And then I was listening to an interview that Tim did, and he referenced a point in the season where he felt like there was a change and turn 
for the Gators. One was, of course, Hannah Adams being back in the lineup, but two was there is a point in the season where Cheyenne Lindsay was over on the day and then came up in an extra inning situation and had the walk-off hit. And he knew in that moment that his team was going to be okay because it didn't matter who it was at the plate. It didn't matter how they had done in the at-bats before. They were going to be ready to be the one to have the winning hit. And so now that there's that type of energy, that type of emotion, that type of mindset that a coach is feeling, that a team is feeling, that a program is feeling, um, I really think that the upper hand goes to Florida in the Super Regional. I do not think Virginia Tech has it. That combined with the history of Florida, because you mentioned earlier, Virginia Tech, new kids on the block, only been to Supers, you know, a few, a few years. Well, it's really interesting because Florida is a team that should be feared. They have tradition. Tradition doesn't graduate. They've won the national championship a couple of times. So even though this Super Regional is being hosted in Blacksburg, Virginia, to me, Virginia Tech is going to be more scared of Florida than Florida is going to be of Virginia Tech. Interesting that you say that because Florida, I mean, you talked about the ACC coming up and being more powerful than it ever has been before and how the SEC and the ACC both having three teams in the Super Regional is just not something that happened. Top to bottom, I mean, you look at the national seeds, Alabama, sure, they got upset, number six in the country, Tennessee, 11. Uh, LSU was ranked for much of the year. They wound up not hosting, but they're still a very good team. Florida's faced these teams before. Florida's faced the kind of, of programs that have been there before. Alabama, as you mentioned, won it all. Tennessee, not super recently, but they have been to seven women's college world series before. And like you said, tradition doesn't graduate. Florida has been there. Florida's done that before. There's also the fact that Florida has not faced a ton of Keeley Richards this year. So I don't know if that is going to sort of make up for that. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Hannah Adams. That's obviously huge. Getting her back is tremendous for the Gators, as you, know, as you talked about. Um, but I, I think everyone who, who follows Gator softball is sort of counting on her to come up and, and help the Gators win the Super Regional. But it's going to take more than, than one hitter to do that. So aside from Hannah Adams – who are you looking for that, that you think has to step up and produce for Florida at the plate if they're going to pull this off? Two people, Skylar Wallace and Charlotte Eccles. Those two, you, you have to have all three of those either come up with a clutch hit or be firing on all cylinders. Those three are the core of your lineup. Those three are the ones that have to get it done. Now, if you have a Kendra Falby that steps up, who all of a sudden is on second base because she has a base hit and stole the first bag, that's just like an extra uh, feather in your cap. But in my opinion, Hannah Adams, Skylar Wallace, and Charlotte Eccles have got to step up. So what are you looking to see from them at the plate in specific? You look, are you looking for them to be more patient? Are you looking for them to be aggressive and go first pitch swinging? What are you looking for them um, approach-wise? I'm looking to see what Tim Walton's approach is because with the Florida offense, here's what you can immediately tell within the first two innings. What have they been working on all week at practice? What has Tim Walton set the game plan up to be? And so I'm really interested to see what his game plan is to face Richard, what it is to face Lemley. And if Florida can commit to that game plan, then that's how I think they win. You mentioned that Florida hasn't faced top pitching. That could not be any more truthful. The SEC as a whole is way down in pitching this year. You mentioned Montana Fouts, you talk about Alabama getting upset, right? I think that if Shanice Dells from Arkansas is your pitcher of the year, who's a transfer from uh, Tulsa, that tells you that pitching in the SEC is down, right? It just does. And so I think that Florida, the Florida Gators have to have a game plan and they have to execute whatever game plan Tim Walton is putting into place. Well, to that point, I mean, 
thankfully Oklahoma is not in the SEC yet. They're not normal. They're the stats <laughs> that they put up this year. But yeah, so Florida on the other side has, um, I, I think you, you would call them certainly three good pitchers. I, I would not call any of them an ace by any means. Elizabeth Hightower, Lexi Delbray, and Natalie Lugo. All three of them do have ERAs of 2.30 or better, which is certainly not bad. I think that's top 125 in the country. But by no means are any of them lights out. They, they don't have a Stacey Nelson. They don't have a Kelly Barnhill. They don't have a Lauren Hager. You know, they, they don't have a Hannah Rogers. They, they don't have anything of that sort. So on the other side, what are you looking to see from the Gator pitchers approach-wise, knowing that they're very good, but, you know, that Virginia Tech's offense is also forced to be reckoned with if you're not careful? I think if Florida wants to win this series, Elizabeth Hightower has to be on. I think that you have to get as many innings out of her arm as possible. Uh, I agree there's not really a true ace on the staff per se, but but I'll, I would call Hightower the number one, Delbray the two, and then – I think Natalie Lugo does a really good job eating up innings when she has to. And I've actually seen her start a few games and, and be pretty impressive, but she's not one who's going to go seven for you, you know? So Natalie Lugo, Lugo is going to have to come in and pitch two to three really good innings where she doesn't give up balls to the green, where she keeps the ball in the infield. She has a few strikeouts or miss hits on her changeup. If she can eat up innings and if Elizabeth Hightower can have a really good start, then Florida is in a position to take the series. I, I mean, I, that sounds good to me. I, I've, I've seen them pitch great, and I've seen them have days where they're just not hitting their spots. They find themselves in some trouble, and they wind up getting roughed up. So definitely going to have to watch for that. Hopefully Hightower can have a good start uh, and, and get us on the right track. So we've talked about the pitchers. Now I think it's, it's going to be imperative that we talk about the girl that's going to be catching the pitches uh, in Sam Rowe and just the catcher position as a whole, because you played it, you know it very well, obviously to me as an outsider, that's one of the most thankless jobs in all of sports, because I mean, to me, I, I think it's catcher, a blocking tight end or a fullback in football, probably a hockey goalie uh, also up there because there are just so many not easy variables that come attached to it. For one thing, you're really, really hot. That gear weighs a lot. It's really bulky, very, very uncomfortable. You're you're in a crouch for long periods of time and expected at the snap of a finger to get into a throwing position and, and then gun down a runner trying to steal second. You get hit with foul balls all the time. I mean, foul tips can can bruise your arms. They can get you in the throat. They can get you in the ribs sometimes. They can get you between the legs, which, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know, but I would imagine doesn't feel too good for either gender. And, you know, here's this kid. I mean, she, she should still be in high school. She graduated early and left high school early to come to Florida. She takes over that role after Julia Cotra leaves, and she's earned herself – a leadership role on this Florida team. So if you want to mind talking a little bit more about what exactly has impressed you about her having you know, obviously mastered that position back in your day. You know, just think about this. 
Catcher is the position where all eight other positions stare at you all game long. So you're immediately coined as a leader. If your pitcher throws a perfect game, the headline does not read Elizabeth Hightower and Sam Rowe throw perfect game. It only credits the pitcher. Yet, for any mistake that a catcher makes, blame is immediately placed. So you're right about the thankless part. You get no praise, but if there's a mistake made, it is all your fault all of the time. I think that her success really says a lot about the pitching staff because it's not just a pitcher and a catcher, it's a battery, the way that they can work together. And so I think that you need a leader in either one of those positions that's then reflecting that leadership and confidence to your entire defense. And what Florida softball does better than any other team in the country is play defense. They are so impressive with the way that they can field and throw balls and get outs. And so I really want to tip my cap to the Florida pitching staff because the way that they're able to lead Sam Rowe and others who play that position really shines. Now, as far as Sam, just as an individual, it impresses me that despite the fact that the game doesn't know your age, right? The game has no idea how old you are. She doesn't look to be a young or an experienced player in any way. She presents herself as differently. She has a quiet, calm confidence about her. It's not a showy confidence. It's very just quiet, calm, um, kind of like the quiet thunder. You know what I mean? Like you don't, it's not a lightning strike. It's just that thunder that's always there. And so it's really been impressive to me that, that her age is never shown in her play. Yeah, I mean, what what she has done so far definitely leads me to believe that that she is going to have a, a long, successful career as the Florida Gators catcher. Uh, and you know, speaking of, there there are are now people on the other sides of their careers. Uh, I really don't want to think about this, but there there is uh, unfortunately a chance that that this will be the last time we will see some of some of the better players that Florida's ever put out there, such as Hannah Adams, uh, Cheyenne Lindsay, uh, Natalie Lugo, a couple others. To you, what has this senior class in terms of legacy meant to the University of Florida softball program? You know, there's only a few classes that I think can replicate this one. And there's some of the ones that, that we've mentioned, the Francesca Anea, Megan Bush, you know, uh, era. And then, the Aubrey, Kelsey, Stewart, that era, right? And then I think there's this one. I think specifically to a Cheyenne Lindsay, to a Hannah Adams, like those two names really stick out to me. I mean, really Hannah as well, like what Hannah has done for this program, she will, will go down as a Gator great. She's one of the best Gators to ever play, not just softball, but a sport at Florida. But I really think that this class emulates selflessness. Like Natalie Lugo is not the star, but she's involved whenever they win. She's just puts the team before herself. And when I think of this class in particular, I think of that. Girls who want the program to succeed before they care about their own individual accolades. It's interesting you say that because this, I mean, this class is, if, if they win this uh, series, they will make it to the Women's College World Series. But if they don't, they will have only been the one time uh, in 19. They did not win a game there. In fact, Florida has not won a game at the Women's College World Series since a, a very certain call did not go Florida's way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have uh, 
Tell, I mean, what the hell? Why not? What, tell, tell us what. Tell us your thoughts about that, because I mean, everyone. I'm not. Eyes. I'm not touching that one. I'm just laughing at you, but I'm not touching it. No, you're not. You're not in, okay, you're not taking the bait. Okay. Yeah. Not not a bad idea, given the our, our Gator audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly not the results that that Florida is used to, and we, we kind of got spoiled, admittedly, but. Winning back to back in 14 15, going to the national title series in 09 and 11, the semifinals in 08. We're used to getting to OKC and winning games there. This class hasn't done that. But then again, this class had to deal with COVID. This class had to deal with the, the toughness of, of not doing that when other teams have sort of stepped up their game, for lack of a better way to put this. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the question is do you think that that's indicative of Florida falling or of other schools coming up? I think it's 100% indicative of other schools coming up. And I'll make the parallel to even all the upsets that we saw in the regional round. So there are five national seeds that fell in regionals, five. That's never happened before. So the parity in the sport is at an all-time high. You think about the Hannah Adams of the world. They committed to Florida during those heydays you're talking about. These are girls who committed to be Gators after watching Lauren Hager and Alicia Ocasio back to back now, you know, become back to back national champions. So they came here to do that. But the sport was also rising simultaneously and talent was beginning to spread across the country. So their lack of, you know, winning a national championship, bringing home a championship ring to Gainesville is not because they're not as good. It's just because the rest of the sport has stepped up. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, to me, I think it has to do with the growing popularity of the sport of softball, too, uh, across the country, which is something that I think we should also touch on. Um, and, and at least to me, one of the things that's so uniquely appealing about college softball is the pageantry and, and the camaraderie and, and the atmosphere. Uh, it, it's just a vibe. And th- there, there are so many rituals, superstitions. Uh, th- there's such an energy about it that just isn't matched. And, and it's different for each team. I mean, for every college softball team out there, there, there's so many traditions, there's so many superstitions. I mean, Florida has, uh, you know, the, the little baby gators and they get a hit, yeah. all that. They have the, the chop, they hit a home run. They have Twizzlers. They have, you know, the sunglasses. They have so many different sort of gimmicks and so on that, and every team's got them, that, that make it unique. So why, to you, uh, why is softball so different from other sports and and why is the energy just so off the charts i think that energy is expected and you think about you know everyone probably at some time played t-ball baseball or softball and softball what we do is we make up cheers for every single player like i can remember back in the day being 10 years old and like saying we want to rally 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 or doing some cheer and these cheers it does not matter if you live in california or florida or texas or missouri you are doing the same cheers at eight nine ten years old and then it becomes almost a challenge who can create the more creative cheer and it becomes fun it keeps you in it this game is so fast it's so quick it's you know it's why it's so popular is that females are allowed to express themselves to play with energy and that's why we rate so high on ESPN you know we're the third highest collegiate watch sport only behind men's football and men's basketball third highest collegiate watch sport women's softball it is so entertaining and these women are truly putting a show on the field it's like the best show on dirt right I think that's what it's referred to that's that that's definitely Omaha the, the men's uh, that's college it. yeah okay so okay. it's okay but Omaha it's- stole what should be in Oklahoma City 
<laughs> okay. Well, I mean, given that the softball infields are completely dirt uh, right. and baseball is not. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. So prediction time. Uh, I, I don't know how much you're allowed to say here, given, you know, your other obligations, but <laughs> are you, are you allowed to make predictions? Mm-hmm. You can. Okay. So first we'll go with, um, I guess, a, a key to the series for each team. So Virginia Tech will win the series if what happens? Uh, if Keely Richard throws a no-hitter. <laughs> oh, high expectations for her. Okay. Which could happen. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's certainly very good. Um, Florida wins the series if what? Florida wins the series if Hannah Adams – Skylar Wallace, get on base, and Charlotte Eccles hits him home. Like, if those three players are playing, I said it earlier in the show, but if those three are on, they win. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to join you in this, but you're the guest, so I'll let you go first. Prediction. Who wins the series? How many games? I mean, are the games close? I mean, how, how do the sort of games flow and so on? Uh, you can give scores if you want, but and how many games this series go and, and who takes it? Virginia Tech wins the first game. Florida comes back and wins two in a row to win the series. One game goes extra innings. Tim Walton is in the umpire's ear about Emma Lemley throwing it legally. Pete Demore, the other coach, gets tossed, and that's how it plays out. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> we, we, so you, you mentioned the illegal pitches. I didn't actually – we didn't actually have time for that. We had so many other things to talk about. But tell us uh, – in you know, give, give us the, the short version of, of what's the story with her throwing illegal pitches and what Florida should be looking out for there. Uh, Emma Lemley, the freshman pitcher for Virginia Tech, very good. But she's had more illegal pitches called on her this year than pretty much anyone in the country. She actually has tried to fix it by she wears a size 13 shoe on her plant on her drag foot so that like her toe will just stay on the dirt. She wears a, a larger shoe is how she fix it. And her coach has been very vocal about his disagreement of when the uh, illegal pitches are called. So this weekend he was actually tossed from their games for complaining about it. So. so you think he gets tossed again? I think that Tim finds a way to get into somebody's ear and get under somebody's skin enough where illegal pitches become a storyline. Okay. It's a, little, it's a little gamesmanship, I guess. Yeah. It's all... I mean, it's a stretch, but like, why not? When you're calling something, when you're throwing out a hot take, why not go for it? Sure. Go big or go home, right? Oh, I got to pick a winner here. It is it is something I have gone back and forth about. I mean, Virginia Tech is the number three seed. Like you said, I think they're a little little bit overseeded, but I think that they are. I think that they are the better team. I mean, the stats do favor them. Do the better overall team ERA, the better overall batting average. I think on base percentage actually does favor Florida, but their their pitching staff has been so dominant. Maybe we'll get a hold of a mistake pitch or two. I think that there will be one game where we do that and maybe she'll get rattled. I don't know. I want to, I, I want to come up with a reason that, that Florida Well, remember wins. they didn't go to the ACC finals. Yes. True. So that's another, that's another thing that's playing into it is okay. They, they took the series from Florida state in regular season play, but then they were beat by Florida state in the in the tournament, didn't make it to the ACC finals. And then they went to three games with Kentucky. So they did. They got like 23 against FSU in one game, right? They got yeah. some ridiculous number. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I I will very, very hesitantly pick Florida. I, I think it's oh, going to be – Three games. I think it's going to be a lot like the Tennessee Super in, in 19 
where it goes three and all three are low scoring games. It's going to come down to maybe some ball and strike calls that we'll have to sort of cross our fingers on. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately in this regional, that is something that could play a factor is officiating. You think so? Well, you just, you know, when you have lights out pitchers like that, if they're getting a couple inches off the plate or below the knee, that changes the game, especially against the Tim Walton offense that, is so aware of the strike zone. They take a lot of pitches, they induce a lot of walks. So if you have an umpire calling something that's out of that frame of reference of what they believe to be a strike, it could impact the game. I mean, some people are just born to hate officials and I think that I'm, uh, I'll put it this way, I'll send it to you. I have a thread going on Twitter of all the times that we've been screwed over by officials. So, <laughs> you, I mean, you can see, like, I, I you know, every fan hates officials. I, I think I like them less than the average fan. So I really hope that this weekend series does not come down to the officials. I would much rather see Virginia Tech beat us or us beat Virginia Tech than have some some arbitrary, you know, ball and strike calls be what decides the game. I guess I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, so, Jen, I mean, thank you so much for your time. You are a lot of different places, but – where specifically can can our listeners find you? You know, I think Instagram or Twitter would be the best. So it would be at Jen, J-E-N underscore Shro, S-C-H-R-O. So coming out with me on Instagram or Twitter. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, I know you're, you're part of the package deal. You have your own yeah. website. Um, I think, I think you were part of the, the, the I think you're part of the Kent Murphy, uh, Coach we Kent did Murphy. Do, yeah. Amanda did? Scarborough and I did some Kent Murphy videos. You can Google those. That was, those are All great. sorts of stuff. This weekend I'll be back at, last weekend I was in Bristol, Connecticut with ESPN. So this weekend I'll be back doing all the studio stuff back in Bristol. So. Yeah. You do, you're part of the seven innings pod. Yep, and yep. podcast. Yeah, so so she, she really truly is everywhere. Um, Jen, thank you so much. Um, I I know you know you didn't go to Florida, so I can't ask you to do a Go Gators, but uh, that, <laughs> no. that is generally how we end our shows. <laughs> but uh, any 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 lasting any parting words of advice for for our team as they get ready to go this weekend? No, I will just say that I will never forget in two thousand eight, fans Gator chomping at me, yelling, "It's great." to be a Florida Gator. So maybe if some fans could get in the heads of the Hokies this weekend with that chant, then Florida stands a chance. Okay. Duly noted. Uh, challenge accepted. Until then, hoping and hoping and uh, just waiting and seeing. But, uh, Jen, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, look forward to watching this play out. And, hey, you know, if Florida makes it to OKC, maybe we'll have to have you back and talk about that. Yeah, sounds good. I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, Jen. Bye.